0: Which is kind of goes back to the importance of if you're going to go into a new investment niche, you should probably be working with someone that's done it before so you can get these inside information
1: so that you make sure that you're buying the deal at the right number. How great would it be to buy a piece of institutional quality, income-producing commercial buildings? Well, now you can with Building Bits. It's not a REIT or a fund. Building Bits is a new platform for non accredited investors where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long term lease. You can now invest in the same quality assets which have previously only been available to institutions and wealthy individuals. Once you choose your building on BuildingBits.com, you can invest as little as $500 and receive your share of the rents while Building Bits' team of real estate pros handles all the management aspects of the building for the first time the big corporations in america can actually start paying you and when the building is sold in the future the potential appreciation is redistributed to everyone so you don't just get the rental income but also in the upside. Best of all, since these securities are SEC qualified, they are freely tradable immediately. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of their current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We don't like that fluffy stuff, so we don't get into that fluffy stuff. With us today, well, we got follow along Friday. So, of course, Theo Hicks. How you doing, Theo? I'm doing good, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing well and looking forward to this. So today, we have two topics of conversation. One is three lessons that I learned from interviews that I did last Thursday. And then separately, you've got some exciting news with your real estate portfolio, and we're going to talk about that. So as a refresher, Best Ever listeners, follow along Friday. The outcome of it is for you to learn alongside with us the lessons that we've learned as we've gone through our real estate endeavors, whether it's me interviewing people on the podcast, where on Thursdays I interview about nine people. So I interview a whole bunch of people, I extract some lessons learned, and then I talk about them on today's episode, or things that we've come across as real estate entrepreneurs or real estate investors. And Theo's going to be talking about what he's doing with his portfolio, and we'll just be talking through that. So number one, one first lesson that I documented to talk about today, Dan Plowman, interviewed him. And again, these three people, I have a one lesson per person. Their episodes, I don't believe have aired yet. They will air in the near future. So definitely check out their episodes. Dan Plowman, he has been in real estate for 28 years. He is from Canada, so don't hold that against them. No kidding, Canada people. He had just really insightful things to say. His primary focus is coaching real estate agents and brokers. So I took the conversation that direction because that's his primary focus now. And one thing that he mentioned is he's like, when I got started doing real estate as a real estate agent, I would go door to door and try and get people to either list their house with me or maybe they know someone. And it wasn't working. And they saw me coming from a mile away. And what I did is I realized I needed to change the pattern. When I started the conversation, I need to say, instead of I'd like to list your home, I don't want to list your home. I'm here because I sell a lot of homes in the area. And I see that in this case, if they have their home listed for sale by owner, I forgot to mention this. He goes up to the for sale by owner homes. Those for sale by owners... They intentionally excluded a real estate agent in the transaction, and they get a lot of inquiries from real estate agents saying, hey, I want to list your home. So he'd go up to them and he'd say, I don't want to list your home. I'm here because I sell a lot of homes in your area, and I can send more clients your way because I sell a lot of homes in the area, which will help you sell your home. You do your thing, and then I'll just send you leads. And they'll say, oh, well, that's interesting. What's the catch? And he says, well, here's the catch. And I'm paraphrasing all this, but just to illustrate the point, the catch is that if I'm sending people your way, I need to look at your home just so I can get an idea of what clients of mine would be interested. So he goes in, looks at the home, and then that's it. Then he'll say one more thing. He'll say, the only other thing I ask is for anyone who looks at your home and they don't purchase, well, then just send them my direction because I could find some places for them. So he would build his database by adding value to these for sale by owner people and making a deal with them that no one else was offering. He would send leads their way and he'd also help them with a contract if needed when they find the buyer. But then in exchange, he would be getting all these leads that they're generating and that person would be sending them his way. So on the surface, value exchange is wonderful for Mm -hmm. both parties. But in addition to that, what would end up happening a lot of the time is the for sale by owner person would not sell their home, therefore would reach out to Dan to then list the house. And I asked him, well, how many people did you actually send to these for sale by owners that actually worked out? He said, well, yeah, it happened multiple times. So actually he said, three of them that he can remember in the first year where he did send people to the for sale by owner and the for sale by owner agreed on the purchase price and they closed the deal. But by and large, what happened is he would get a listing from that for sale by owner because he established that relationship. And then also if that did not happen, he would get new leads from people who were visiting the house.
0: That's a very fascinating strategy. I always love hearing these very unique strategies to kind of leverage a no. Because if someone's selling their house by themselves and as a real estate agent, if you're asking for their business, they're saying no, instead of just saying, okay, and then passing on that, figuring out some unique strategy to get them to say yes, or get other people that they know, or essentially find some way to turn that no into a yes. And that's a very unique way because as you mentioned, in some instances, They're literally turning that no into a yes, but in other instances, they're thinking, okay, well, you're not gonna let me represent you, but let's put together this win-win scenario where I am able to add some value to you, in this case, sending you clients, but then you're also sending me other people that I could potentially represent as well. That's fascinating.
1: It is. It's an age-old problem, but here's a solution to an age-old problem that a lot of real estate agents currently have, or even maybe wholesalers can implement this. I'm not close enough to wholesaling to know, but I'm sure there's some things there. And then even if we're not a real estate agent or wholesaler, it's just the thought process that is behind this solution. Okay, here's a problem. Now, what are some creative ways where I can help this person who would initially have their guard up against when I come across them? What are some solutions I can come across that it's actually a win-win? So I absolutely love that. Yeah, All right, right. And, one, and one more thing
0: before you move on. This is kind of more specific to just this specific strategy for real estate agents, especially with all these online listing services. It's a lot easier to list your house by yourself today than it would have been 20 years ago. You can list it on Zillow or Craigslist or whatever, and then you can probably find a a contract you can download for free somewhere online. So this is something that is probably going to be more and more common with probably evidence of them, assuming based off of the patterns They're probably going to be more and more for sale by owners in the future. So instead of just being an agent and throwing your hands up in the air and be like, oh, I guess I got to find a new career path, you can follow this exact strategy.
1: Yeah, great point. This is very topical (laughs) with all the technology that's coming out. This will be more and more relevant. The longer this episode is on this podcast, the more and more relevant this insight becomes, Mm -hmm. which that is a testament to how strong of a thought process or a solution is. All right, number two. Okay, best ever listeners. Do you have a hard time finding apartment buildings? Are you looking for apartment buildings? Are you struggling to find a good deal that is a 10, 15 plus unit apartment building? Well, here's a solution and it is a specific example. Antoine Martel 23-year-old real estate investor based in Los Angeles, California. Again, his interview will be coming out shortly. And he found a 20-unit property. But before I get into that, let me tell you the process for how he found it. And then I'll tell you a little bit about the property. How he found it is what I want to focus on. And what he did, never purchased a large property before. But he did start in college, his senior year, I believe, finding deals that are out of state. So he ended up in Memphis, Tennessee. You'll have to listen to the interview to hear the whole backstory, but I'm just giving you the cliff notes version right now. Negotiated with his parents. They invested the money in a property in Memphis, Tennessee, ended up doing well, and now he's got a turnkey business that they buy properties, fix them up, then sells them as turnkey investments. Along the way, he wanted to also buy a larger property, and he found a 20-unit property. And how he did this, this is what I want to focus on. How he did it is a process that can be replicated by anyone listening to this episode. And when you replicate this process, it's likely going to lead to an apartment building. So if you want an apartment building, then this is a process you can replicate. So here's the process. One- He looked on LoopNet and he found the brokers who are listing properties on LoopNet and he made a list. So this assumes that you have identified markets that you're investing in. So if you haven't identified markets you're investing in, there's a step before number one, that's figure out the markets that you're investing in. And then once you do that, number one is find the brokers on LoopNet and make a list. Two is you call all those brokers. You introduce yourself. And he has an email script. He also would email them and you can listen to the interview and you can hear the email script that he used. But he called them and he emailed them. And then every two weeks, and this is the key part of the process, every two weeks he would call or email those brokers and he would follow up with them. And he would change up the wording for how he'd follow up with them. If, for example, he just had a property that he sold, then he'd say, hi, broker XYZ, just had a property that sold. I've got cash that I'm looking to deploy. I know we've talked before, just checking in on if you have anything within this criteria. And then he'd list out whatever he's looking to purchase. Or some cases he would say, hi XYZ broker just following up and we just liquidated this property and here's a screenshot of the funds that I'm looking to deploy. And he, at this point, and he's 23 years old now. As I mentioned, he started when he was a senior in college. So we're talking about a very short time frame here. But at this point, he had the ability to do a screenshot of a little over a million dollars. Now, clearly that is not something that most people have the opportunity to do when they're starting out. But he had built his business. So he took the screenshot and then he leveraged that screenshot for all the follow-up interviews. He would say, hey, looking to deploy this money, Whether or not he still had that in the bank account, it fluctuated, I'm not sure, but he had that screenshot. So it added validity to him following up, like, hey, I've got the money, I'm ready to rock and roll. Now, if you don't have a million dollars in the bank account, this strategy still applies. So I don't want that to turn people off. You don't have to use a screenshot example. The point is that he had multiple ways of following up and he did it consistently every two weeks. I asked him, how many brokers did you have on the list? And he said 20 brokers were on the list. I said, how long did it take for you to follow up with them every two weeks? He said 30 minutes max because I had it down to a system. He did this for nine months, nine months. He did this for nine months every two weeks. I asked him in month eight, what were you thinking? You can listen to the interview. (laughs) You can hear what his internal dialogue was in month eight after being turned down for eight long months but he did this for nine months. And then in the ninth month, he followed up with the broker during this two week process that he always did. And the broker said, well, actually I have a deal and here's some information. He said, it really wasn't much information. He said, make an offer and then I'll send you the financials, (laughs) which is always wacky to me, but that's for whatever reason, that can be commonplace. So he just made some offer and the numbers worked out and they figured some things out and financials aligned and blah, blah, blah. He closed a deal. You can listen to the interview to hear more about the property itself. But the point of this conversation today is making a list from LootNet brokers, following up on a consistent basis every two weeks with those brokers, having something interesting to say every two weeks, just change it up slightly And then do it over a period of time. When you do that, then it's likely to lead to a deal. And most people, now, best ever listeners, you're an exception, clearly, because you're investing your time to listen to this podcast. So you're doing stuff that most people wouldn't do. But most people won't make the effort to do this consistently over a long period of time And the key is just getting a couple deals because when you get a couple deals, you're in the game and then there's momentum that builds. But most people won't take this methodical approach. And that's what I wanted to share.
0: Yeah, I'm going to skip my comments on this one for now because I'm going to come back to this one when I talk about my properties that I'm selling.
1: Lesson learned number three. This is Ed Hendrickson. He's a real estate entrepreneur. He does a lot of things and he's right now working on his website, hardmoneyproject.com. So you can go check it out. But he has experience fixing and flipping among other things. And one thing that came to light during our conversation is I haven't been asking the right question to get the true picture of a fix and flip project's profitability. And what I've been missing in my questions is, well, one question. And I'll tell you what that one question is in a second, but let me give you the example first. So he said he bought a property for $280,000. He put $40,000 into it. So all in $320,000. He sold it for $420,000. I assume incorrectly that he made $100,000, right? 420 minus 320 equals $100,000. Easy math. What he said is because he has experience working with hard money lenders, he said, well, there's a lot of hidden fees that hard money lenders have. And, what you should also ask people is those profits that we're talking about on this fix and flip, does that factor in your carrying costs? Because there's an example that he gave, that his fix and flip, he bought it for 280, put in 40, all in 320, sold it for 420, hallelujah, that's for $100,000 profit, not so fast, my friend, because there's a real estate agent fee, there's carrying costs, that was about $4,000 a month, there's staging costs, that are factored into those carrying costs, there's taxes. So all in, it was about $4,000 a month, plus he had the real estate agent fee. And he made about fifty dollars to $60,000. Now, congratulations, that's still a lot of money on a fix and flip, $50,000 to $60,000, but it's not $100,000. And it's important that I continue to educate myself so that I can ask intelligent questions, ask a dumb question, get a dumb answer, ask an intelligent question, get a better answer, so that's a question I'm going to incorporate in my fix and flip interviews, making sure that the costs that they mentioned that they're all in on factors in the carrying costs because that can eat away a significant amount of the profit.
0: Yeah, I don't imagine that's probably the biggest issue that people that want to become fix and flippers. And really, I, I would say any type of real estate investor is, is not fully understanding all the expenses that go into it. You hear someone say, I put in 40 grand. One of the main things that people focus on are the renovation costs. And then, what's the ARV after that for rentals or for fix and flip? But as you mentioned, there's a lot more that goes into it than just those renovations. And some of those things get listed here, staging costs, for example. Who would have thought about that unless they've actually either done it before or they are working with someone who's done it before, which just kind of goes back to the importance of if you're going to go into a new investment niche, you should probably be working with someone that's done it before so you can get these inside information so that you make sure that you're buying the deal with the right
1: number. Yep tons of hidden costs in every asset class and every type of business model, just being aware of what those are. And in that interview, he actually gave us five or six hidden costs that hard money lenders yeah. might have when you're getting a loan from them. So anyone who is getting hard money, you must listen to that interview. And again, it'll be coming out soon within the next 30 days. Yeah.
0: Well, I think those last two lessons are pretty timely and it would be a good transition to me talking about my three, four plexes that I am listing for sale. I think they're going to have the coming soon tomorrow, and then they're going to be live on Wednesday of next week. And we could probably talk about this for a long, long time, (laughs) the reasons why. But I would just say the main reason why, again, I learned a lot of lessons on these deals. I've talked about most of them on this podcast already. But I did not do proper due diligence before I bought these properties. I got really excited when they hit the market. I went and saw them the next day. I bought them a little below the list price, but I didn't know what I know now, <laughs> right? So I didn't fully underwrite the deal. I didn't take the historicals and project out a five-year business plan. I kind of just said, okay, well, the rents are this. I could probably raise them to this, 50% expenses. I could it still make sense. And over the past, let's say, you keep running into the issue of the property finally fully occupied, or I finally don't have a maintenance expense for the month, and I'm finally picking up momentum. And then something happens. Mm-hmm. And then I know that I'm not going to make any money for the next three or four months. And then that three or four months passes. And maybe during that three or four months, another issue happens that adds another couple months to that. Or I finally get to the end and it's like, oh yes, cash flow. And then something else happens. And this most recent time when something else happened, I'm just like, all right, let's take a look and see what these types of properties are selling for right now. Mm-hmm. It's even makes more sense. Instead of putting in this much money in the property, kind I just sell them and get my money back make some profit out of this thing and take that money to buy one 20 unit property in Cincinnati and actually do it right this time.
1: Okay. So lots of questions. And I think we should focus on this next week because we don't have time to dive into it on this call. So I'm not going to ask any questions, even though I have a lot of questions. How about we bring this up next week? Perfect. And then we'll do a deep dive.
0: Yeah, because there, yeah, <laughs> I could definitely talk about this for a long time. <laughs>
1: yeah, because yeah, it would be a, an important topic to discuss. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right, so yeah, so we'll put a, a bookmark in that for now. and We'll talk about that next week. And hopefully they're sold by next week. And it's, a, it's got a happy ending. It will have a happy ending regardless. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Okay. So trivia question. So last week's trivia question was about the nation's most expensive residential listing. And I kind of listed off some of the features of the house. The answer, and this is really surprising, was $250 million for the list. What did I say? Like 90-something? I think you said 70-something, but around there. $250 million. Where is it?
1: Beverly Hills?
0: It's in Bel Air. So apparently this property was listed maybe like a year before it was, because it's been listed for a while now. And it was listed at, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was at least 50% higher than this price. When they took it out of the market and then reduced it to $250
1: million. Oh, uh, let me go run and make an offer. This sounds like a steal. Yeah, seriously. Huh.
0: This week's trivia question. So he recently wrote a blog post about the markets with the most Fortune 500 companies. And while I was in my research for this article, I found an interesting tidbit that will be the trivia question this week. So the question is one out of three. So approximately 33% of the Fortune 500 companies are headquartered in how many MSAs? A third of the Fortune 500 companies are headquartered in how many metropolitan statistical areas? Not a specific four. city, but... Okay, four. I say four. So as always, either submit your answer to info Fairless or submit your answer below in the comment section below this YouTube video if you're watching it on YouTube. And the first person to get it correct will receive a signed copy of our first best ever book. And then lastly, the best ever apartment indication book review of the week. If you buy the book on, on Amazon, leave a review and send us a screenshot. Not only will you receive a link to download a bunch of apartment indication resources and documents, but you also have the opportunity to have your review read aloud on the podcast. This week's review comes from Josh Fallen, who says, this is a well Written clear and actionable book. A great book for those just getting started on their apartment syndication journey. I have read several other apartment and real estate investing books, and most are two parts motivational speeches and one part content. This book, although acknowledging the importance of mindset, cuts right through the fluff and gets straight to the process of apartment syndication while laying out a clear path from start to finish. A great book and resource to have in the library.
1: That's all right. We don't like that fluffy stuff. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Theo hates that fluffy stuff. He's a chemical engineer. Is that what your major is? He's a chemical engineer. They hate the fluff. Thank you so much for sharing that and investing your time to write that on Amazon. You could be doing other things, but instead you chose to take some time out of your day and write it. And that's sincerely appreciated best ever listeners. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. I know some of you out there are just starting your fix and flip journey. Before you do, let me tell you about an opportunity where your money works for you instead of you working for it. Building Bits is offering anyone, and I mean anyone, the opportunity to invest in commercial real estate and receive the dividends and value appreciation from the sale. Here's how it works. First, you choose a building and invest. Second, once the building is acquired, you start to receive potential quarterly dividends. Third, once the building sells, you get any of the appreciated value from it. See, money working for you, not you working for the money. Start today at buybits.us forward slash flip. The offering circular is available at buildingbits.com.